Hello, everyone. Welcome to Disc Dandies, a podcast where each episode, two friends share a recommendation with one another. We talk about what we liked, what we would change, and try not to judge each other too much over our bad tastes. This week, we're going to die. A lot. All right, here's the thing, Jordan. Um, I have a lot of plans for this podcast. Like, we are going to take over the world with this thing. But we, you know, it, it's it's small iterations. We have to, you know, build it up bit by bit, block by block. And I think the very next thing that we need to incorporate into this podcast is a uh, morning zoo radio soundboard. I don't have one, but um, I, I guess I'm just going to have to pretend that we have one uh, with my mouth sounds. I hope that you enjoy this addition to our podcast. What's, what's a zoo radio? That's what she said. <laughs> See, I, I really think this is what we need to take it to the next level. It's the missing sauce. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, okay, think about all the successful people in radio and podcasting. We have Howard Stern. Larry King, Ryan Seacrest, like they all have, um, you know, these uh, hilarious uh, Joe Rogan, uh, <laughs> Don Imus. Does does Kevin Spacey have a podcast? Uh, he shouldn't. So, like someone <laughs> ought to like stop that. Be like uh, Kevin Spacey. No, you don't get to like have a podcast. He don't get to do anything. <laughs> okay, look, we, uh, you know, it's the year of our Lord twenty twenty, and any old Yahoo can start a podcast. Exhibit A. Uh, us how are we going to set ourselves apart from all the other yahoos and i really think that it's making really crude sound clips uh to break up the uh thoughtful critiques of media with fart sounds and sirens look i hear what you're saying but i think the alternative is that we just talk about manga i think that i think that's a great idea uh, and the reason I suggest that is at the end of the day, uh, th- okay, so this is something I've thought about that. I'm going to say this, and uh, whenever we eventually make it big, people are going to listen back to this episode, call us idiots, and then list all the other manga podcasts there are. This has got to be the first manga podcast episode ever posted to the internet, right? I think that we are breaking new ground with this. Like, no one has ever talked about manga on a podcast. Like, someone's got to start. It'll be us, right? No one likes manga. This is the first. We're, we're, gonna, we're getting the movement started. All right, well, I'm ready to talk about some manga. I have my half-eaten peanut butter sandwich that I'm going to try not to chew into the microphone. I got my required 1,024 beverages. I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Well, on that note, I, like, rolled out of bed and, you know, hastily got all my snacks together. So I think uh, I qualify as ready. But anyways, this week, as uh, I exhorted Will last episode, we're going to be talking about the popular Japanese manga slash light novel, All You Need Is Kill. All you need is kill. Okay, before we even get into any of the facts about this thing, is this a play on All You Need Is Love by the Beatles? That's a really interesting question. Um, I kind of doubt it because there's nothing else. Like, if you were going to make a reference like that, you'd put something like that inside the story. And maybe, uh, as you're about to talk about, you know, we we read the manga. It's based on a book. Maybe the book has a uh, reference, but um, uh, there's no reference inside what we read. So... You know, who 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 knows? But I, I think that we can agree this title kind of sucks, right? 
Yeah, I'm not okay. So I didn't really get it. Uh, I mean, like the the obvious thing is there's a lot. Okay, I I would think that it would be something like all you need is death because they, sure they kill a lot, but the story is about the characters dying repeatedly. Yeah, it's it's really really weird. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't know what they were uh, thinking about that, but uh, what, why don't you go ahead and tell us more about the story? It, it's based on a light novel written by Hiroshi. Sakura. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna just say this real quick. I'm gonna butcher these names. We're we're stupid Americans, and we don't know how to pronounce things the way they're meant to be spelled from or said from other cultures. But I'm gonna give it my best shot. Based on a light novel written by Hiroshi Sakurazaka. Th- this manga was written by Ryosuke Takeuchi and illustrated by Takashi Obata. And before we get any further, um, you know, this is one of our episodes where. Uh, us to have this discussion about this piece of media we really need to dive deep into all of the story spoilers and it's not that long it's a pretty self-contained compact story so for anyone that's uh, interested in uh reading this manga i'm just uh, want to go ahead and let you know we're pretty going to be we're going to be spoiling everything from the get-go so you know just ke- keep that in mind a uh, full spoiler warning ahead yeah, it, it, the entire story can be knocked out in an afternoon or two. Like, I, I recommend reading it before listening to the episode as well. But just as some background on the on both the novel and the manga, uh, just real quick, both are extremely popular. Uh, and like you know, stated before in the last episode, it influenced the movie, uh, also confusingly named uh, Edge of Tomorrow. It, it had several name changes, like with the Blu-ray slash DVD release ha- uh, being called Live Die Repeat. It seems like which is the which is the best of all the titles, I think. Yeah, that one's actually really like fun. Though I'll say that it's gonna be really hard for me not to compare this to the movie, especially having watched after having watched the movie. I feel like what this manga does versus what the movie does, and I know you may not have seen it, Will. So, like I said, I won't expect you to like be able to reference it or anything like that. But I will say, I think the movie has a little bit more fun. Okay, okay. I, I have not seen the movie, um, so I have nothing to compare this to, but I was interested in uh, kind of uh, hearing a little bit more about uh, how these two differ. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll give a few comparisons. And obviously, we would like, we're not, this is the, the episode is not to compare those two things, though it is an interesting, it might be an interesting point later on in the future if it finds its place somewhere. Maybe I exhort you with the movie later on. Uh, I'd be up for that. This is Groundhog Day, but aliens and lots of dying. More, more gruesome. Yes, so it, it starts with our main character, Keiji Korea, basically finding out d- during a battle with like the alien species known as Mimics that every time he dies in this specific battle, that he basically relives the previous 30 hours. He starts back the day before the battle and gets to redo the events over and over again. And, and he, you know, it's success it, like, i guess successively getting better with each life you know he's like kind of like leveling himself up and trying to become a better soldier so that he can make it further into the battle hopefully stop the alien threat that whole that whole thing yeah he becomes blackpilled very quickly i think it's only like the third or fourth time when he has a uh, very massive shift in his outlook on on things and uh, really uh uh becomes uh, su- uh su- super blackpilled by it Yes. And I guess from here, before we dig into, like, actually go into, like, the deep bits, Will, what did you think about this? Yeah, so overall, I liked it. It was a fun reading experience. Um, There are some mangas where I kind of mentally check out halfway through, and this was definitely not one of them. It did kind of grip me and uh, made me want to finish the story. Um, I love the style of it. Um, I have some gripes about the story, um, but overall, I, I liked it. 
Yeah, same. I'm going to go ahead and give my take here as well, because this was the first time for both of us. I got this at a Barnes & Noble a couple of years ago, just because I had heard a lot about it. And, you know, entered my reading list from there. And it's sat on my shelf since. Uh, Not due to lack of interest, just due to other hobbies kind of taking over. And, well, I enjoyed it for the most part. But I it made me want to read the light novel, maybe. Just because I I think it does a lot of really damn good things in 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 the manga. But then there's some stuff happening that I think is that does not work as much for me. It definitely feels like we're only getting half the story or uh, that there are things going on that we should be clued in about. And I did find myself uh, a couple of times in the story wondering, like, I wonder, like, how this plays out in the novel. Um, So, yeah, it's um, definitely some some stuff like that. Okay, well, just to just to like go ahead and like drop this bomb on you before we even talk about the ending. The ending of this manga is the same as the ending of the book. I I figured as much. Okay, all right, real, real quick, let's go over the. I mean, really, the two characters that are like you know featured in the story. Uh, if you agree that there are basically two main characters. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, yeah, some some of the characters were um, not really that important, but there are two main characters here. Um, as you mentioned, the first one is uh, Keji Keria. He is a, I don't know if he's conscripted or not, but um, uh, he is a soldier, uh, you know, that is uh, um, currently stationed uh, in Japan. He, you know, seems to be Japanese. Um, and he fights for uh, what is called the United Defense Force, I believe. Their jacket unit. The jacket unit, yeah. Uh, so basically a, a confederation of uh, uh, armies from around the world that have come together to fight the uh, Mimics. Uh, and we'll talk more about what the Mimics are later. And he just, you know, kind of standard soldier, kind of, you know, that um, uh, just a, like a normal private, you know, doesn't have uh, really any experience to speak of. He's um, unfamiliar and uh, doesn't have any experience with the equipment that he's using, uh, you know, either the weapons or the jackets, uh, which are kind of like power suits. We'll talk about more of those more later. Uh, and, you know, just kind of just a normal soldier. And once he finds himself, you know, stuck in this battle loop where he keeps dying and then wakes up, uh, as I mentioned before, he gets very, like, uh, dark, uh, kind of, um, like, I, I have to do everything I can. And he goes to some pretty great length to, like, get better over each iteration and, you know, uh, becoming more powerful with both the, the, the jacket, battle armor, and the weapon. And the story is really him kind of trying to get better and better as he you know goes through these loops yeah and he's getting better i mean because he basically starts off the story as straight up fodder they they sent him and his unit out there to die because it, it makes it very clear like oh we hardly know how to use these jacket like mech units or whatever they're called you know like or whatever they are and, and he becomes this like super like you mentioned that he gets better definitely not mentally like even though he's getting much better like in terms of combat and is like kind of coming to grips with his repeated deaths and stuff the dude's messed up like by the end of that book right Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he is absolutely 100% a different person just completely from the beginning and the end of the book that like this, this experience really changes who he is um, at an individual level. And we can kind of see this as he's contra- uh, contrasted against our second main character, who we do see at the very beginning. Uh, but we learn more about her um, as the story progresses. And this is uh, Rita Vrtaski. 
And she is a American um, who has become, uh, was referred to, they, they call her the Valkyrie of the battlefield. She has um, become quite adept at uh, winning battles against the mimics. Uh, and sh- her and her platoon are transferred to Japan to help out with an upcoming battle. And during the very first time Keiji dies in battle, she's with him. And, you know, she starts talking about Japanese green tea, something that just has like nothing to do with the fact that he just got killed on a battlefield. She, she's kind of a presence as Keiji continues to improve himself throughout uh, these battles. Once he becomes good enough to kind of hold his own on the battlefield, he is noticed by Rita and she realizes that, you know, he's looping because she has looped before. He was successfully noticed by Senpai. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, that's is definitely um, something that was uh, for his own good, I believe. I, I think they made a decision with the manga that I, I would be interested to see if it's the same in the book to juxtapose it against the movie that was based on all of this. Rita's Kind of invents kind of late into this, wouldn't you say? Like maybe like could have used a few earlier chapters being a featured character. Yeah, I could definitely definitely see that. I mean, she is introduced, but you don't learn anything about her pretty much up until the point where she's like, "Hey, you know, are you're looping? I, I you know, I know about this." And then after that that re- revelation is made, which I believe is like exactly halfway through the book, um, then we start learning uh, more about her. But uh, yeah, yeah, you you she's introduced and you know about her, but you kind of forget about her for like the, I, I guess, like um, second quarter of the story. I think that it was interesting that they waited as long to introduce her. Cause it, cause in the movie she's introduced, I would say within the first like 20 minutes as someone else who was in the loop and the, is pretty much sharing the journey with Tom Cruise's character who is, they, they, they wiped that character up pretty good just to say, but anyways, we actually, when we first see her, we see that she doesn't fight with a normal set of equipment. Uh, her jacket, then, you know, the battle armor is painted bright red. Uh, and that's definitely in contrast to all of the others. Uh, makes her stand out on the battlefield. And we see her fighting, uh, not with the normal like guns or ammunition, she fights with a really wicked-looking battle axe that she is very adept at using and kills lots of mimics with. Yeah, it's bigger than her, and they make a point in the story that like you have to fight with it a certain way, otherwise it'll just straight up like, break your spine. Yeah, um, it's revealed that she has to fight with this battle axe because the normal guns ammunition that they use against the mimics have have limitations and if you're trying to make yourself better and better at killing these mimics over you know know, loop after loop after loop that you need a weapon that doesn't have that limitation uh so the battle axe was made for her and then keji when he progresses in the loops discovers this and uh finds a way to have one made for him as well right and it's really shitty of their military to put them out there against this like seemingly endless horde of mimics with only enough ammunition between each of them to kill 20. Especially since, you know, the mimic uh, invasion, if that's what you want to call it, is not like a moral, like it's it, the, the war is not in a moral gray area. Um, you know, this is like a very like bad invasion that's coming and killing. You think that they would, you know, tr- try as hard as they could to, you know, like uh, uh, survive and like do it the right way. Uh, and, and for them to kind of be treated that way kind of uh, seems at odds with the foe that they're fighting. 
then they make a point that they don't know much about the mimics and like even the mimics don't seem to have any thoughts or like emotions or anything like that they could just be like like an earlier part of a greater invasion or something that like that these seem like more drone like and they they definitely act that way we don't ever hear one speak or even make any noises they're just kind of like these hovering balls with like gaping mouths and they're very just hellish looking they are not your traditional alien invader they look like the annoying orange <laughs> am, am i wrong yeah that are goatsy right yeah well let's just get into it so the uh enemies that you know our characters are fighting and you know like humanity as a whole are, are fighting these mimics and it, it really isn't explained what these things are if they're like um terrestrial in origin or they're um aliens i think they kind of hint very slightly that they, that's an alien invasion, but it's never explained, you know, and, and not a lot about the mimics other than the way that they're using the loops uh, is explained. And, and part of me likes that because it kind of uh, creates like a, a suspense, you know, you really feel like they're a, an unknowable enemy um, because you, we don't learn too much about them other than how they affect the loops. But also part of it makes me think, man, I really wish I knew where these mimics were coming from, uh, why they're there, why they see humanity as such a um, as such a threat. Um, so, yeah, th there's a, a duality there that I think is interesting. Obviously, like most choices to make things ambiguous, I think that this is a very intentional thing because like we'll get into in our theme section, I think the mimics are representative of a element of war as opposed to like a, like a real entity you know like I, I think in the story they serve their purpose as this kind of terrifying thing that you're like uh, that, that kind of feels hopeless to fight against and I, I think that the the kind of like snobby like you know highbrow way to look at them is just kind of like like the cruelty uh, or maybe like unforgiving nature of war is where it seems the story kind of kind of puts them sure like the, the the faceless emotionless foe that you see on the battlefield and the the emotions we derive from that yeah that's a very interesting way to put it um I think I referenced this just a bit ago, but um, if humanity were to fight a war, fighting like a humanity versus something else is kind of the most moral war you can have, um, you know, because you're not killing you know, your fellow man. Uh, you know, if like these mimics are like actively trying to kill humans, then it's uh, like it's, it's, it's a just war. We don't really have that in the real world. All wars are against other people and that has a whole lot of you know ethical and moral um you know um considerations to take into account i think that these mimics just being a you know alien invasion or whatever you want to call them it actually takes away a bit of that uh you know moral and ethical um like a quandary you find in war um so like any point that this story tries to make about war i actually think is kind of tampered down a little bit by the fact that these mimics are just a present threat to the entirety of humanity yeah which makes me think that there's maybe uh, i i agree with you too uh, on that point like i think that like not giving them a voice or anything like that may, maybe uh maybe we're just too smooth brain to catch like some like larger theme or like representation that they're supposed to have but it definitely seems like they're the choice to have them be like kind of mindless is a choice yeah i would definitely say that yeah, it, but but aside from the point I made a second ago about them supposed to be like, you know, representing you know the really bad sides of war, like the war as an entity, I I don't I think a lot is lost by not having in a, in a story that is very clearly about like 
post-traumatic stress this is it it, it, it it could have gained a lot more from these things having more going on for them we do see that the mimics are an army and they act as though they are one uh we don't know what their structure is but we know that they have certain entities that are more important than others uh, and they uh that we refer to them as servers that serve as some sort of like neural link between all the mimics and uh you know the end of the story has to do with like finding these servers and taking them down specifically to stop the loop uh, that, uh, that our characters are in. Uh, and it's discovered that the mimics know that the loop is happening and they are responding to the loop in the same way that our characters are responding to the loop and, and using, the, using the loop to get stronger. The mimics are using that as battle data and then in response to that, like shoring up defenses of their servers. Um, so like they're, they're definitely like an entity that can think and is smart and is using the loops to their own advantage. Yeah, which again, interesting point not to see a little bit more of them because it's just like, what is their, other than wiping out humanity, there has to be some kind of goal at, at, like at hand or something like that that I would have liked to have seen more of. There there are other characters, but like most of them don't really fact all that much into the story. Like the um the lady that works in the cafeteria uh just like had no reason to be in the story. The the um uh, engineer was an interesting character to see here and there and she plays an important part, but like her character d- doesn't really do anything in the story other than just make the stuff that our two main characters use so um you know in terms of characters it really is just these three i'd say definitely like the the two story the two characters you mentioned and then of course like the bunk mate of a a kg's bunk mate and his sergeant like they're all very much just interaction points for the for kg and rita that not neither of them none of the other side characters have arcs they are just subjects to what is happening with KG and Rita. Yeah, and they're uh, and uh, and especially for the soldiers, their deaths can serve as ways to show that loops can be different from iteration to iteration. Right. Okay. So, I I guess kind of like wheeling things back around to the beginning. The story kicks off with uh KG uh like we mentioned before, very like green new like soldier has not fought any of these mimics before and really like it's kind of implied that humanity as a whole just has not had much success fighting these mimics like rita vertaski in general who we see not too much further into the story uh is really the only person her and her team are really the only people that have had much success fighting mimics and this has been a losing battle for humanity more or less kg's going out for his first battle and the story opens with him just you know, dying with rita speaking to him and his loop has begun it's revealed that before his first death, he killed a uh, mimic that sends out, sends out a signal to another mimic on the battlefield, which allows all of the mimics on the battlefield to loop infinitely until they win the battle. Yes, and as we, as we mentioned, they are aware of the loop and they use it to their advantage. Yes, and so when in this, uh, basically, whenever you kill one of the server units, if it's like if you're the first person to have killed them, you get brought into that loop with them because of how the signal bounces off of your brain. The science isn't the important factor here. I don't think like I I think it, it could be very easily picked apart, and it's a little like convoluted. The more you like 
think about it. It's very much the situation and the implications that are the focus. Oh yeah, do not do not think about the logic of how any of this works. Uh, one of my major gripes with this story as a whole is that it really suffers from fridge logic. If you spend more than five minutes or five seconds thinking about how all this works or like different choices that people could make, I, I really do think the story falls apart. So yo, don't think too much about how all the science works. You're absolutely right. Yeah, this story is about the emotions, which I think is like something that they very much like like you mentioned earlier, like they, they, they jump into very quickly, especially with KG. They he goes from green terrified by the situation to kind of battle hardened within like a couple of like lives at first i thought the change was kind of abrupt but then the more i thought about it i was like you know i think i'd be pretty messed up by the trauma of my own death too yeah yeah Uh, like because i i do think it's a really swift change because it happens over the course of like his first few deaths but he he, like i I, the more i thought about it the ways in which they are dying in the story is absolutely brutal yeah, very gory, very um, very brutal manga. You see, like every single uh, uh, scene of him dying, it's all there and it's bloody glory. As it carries on, and, and I'm not going to go into every little detail. Basically, KG becomes a much better fighter. He learns how to fight the mimics like uh, dominantly. Like as he makes it further into these loops, he's dying more because he doesn't know what to do with himself going forward, as opposed to him being inexperienced. Basically, he's like, "How do I win this?" is what the loops become about. I, I got to jump in here because I think this is two main parts where the story really falls apart. And I just want to kind of highlight those. Uh, one, I, I don't understand why he's all of a sudden coming to the realization that the way to break the loop is to win the battle. Uh, like my first thought was, why are you assuming that? Like you, you have no idea why this is happening or like what the trigger would be to break out if you could. I, I think it was kind of short-sighted on his part to think that that's what he had to do to win. And, and another thing, is like why did he not tell anybody i i really think this story goes in a, a, a cr- another crazy direction immediately as soon as he's like hey maybe i should like tell my superiors that this looping is happening well especially since it's made the, the point is made later in the story that rita's superiors did find out about what was happening to her she told them and they made a special unit around them and they utilized her to take advantage of that. Why don't all the soldiers know that? Like, why is that guarded information? Like, you know, especially since it's against a threat to humanity, it's not like you're fighting another nation. Like, why is this information not being disseminated? Yeah, it, it's a very interesting, like, omission. And I, I think, honestly, part of it is just because they were really focused on, I, I think, the themes, like the thematic element of the story rather than the story itself. Because I think by the end of the story it it becomes a piece more about like humanity and like what especially like in times of war and trauma like what allows us to kind of keep hold of it you know yeah that that, yeah absolutely yeah so just don't think think, like we said just don't think about it yeah yeah and as it comes to a close you know it, it, it resolves in a very like bitter sweet moment because he does ultimately win the battle it does come at the cost of like rita Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, real quick, I just want to uh, mention, you know, the entire first half of the story is uh, Keiji, like, becoming better, doing everything he needs to do to to become uh, better. And then um, at the at the midpoint is when we find out that Rita all, 
knows about the loops and realizes that Keiji is doing that. Um, after that, it loops into her backstory, which is not particularly interesting. Like the, the style of how it's presented is interesting, but um, like ultimately like the, her backstory is kind of just, I was a kid and then my family died and I joined the army and I took a new alias. I, although, although one cool thing about that is a lot of this is a very like high tech environment. We see these, you know, crazy like uh, jacket battle suits that they're wearing, which are really cool. And it's all very high tech. And it's a, a stark contrast to her backstory where we see these you know, horrifying, annoying orange mimics just get smacked by a 2010 Ford Ranger pickup truck. Yes. <laughs> so I did like the actual like individual moments uh, from Rita's backstory, mainly just the attack on her farm. It was very terrifying because... I, dude, I don't know about you, but like, I, I like not even like a quarter of the way into the story, I was like, how the hell did humanity not just completely fold to this? Because from what we can see, like the the, the main weaponry used by the soldiers in the story don't even hurt them. Guns don't hurt them. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 pretty uh, crazy how resilient they are to normal artillery. Yeah, this it, it was basically like uh, I did. Uh, I think that was one of the most unreal unrealistic things that I think was a bit like. It was a bit too much for me to wrap my head around. Even it was a too big ask to suspend, suspend the, delete, the belief that we were able, able to like successfully fight them off in any capacity. Rita would literally need to be on every battlefield to, to, to like to keep the world from crumbling because that's the way this plays out. It, it, they straight up make it like it's just Rita. Rita's the only one who can beat them, and you know, and we see that whenever like in KG's first battle where he just gets absolutely wiped out by these things. Yeah, if yeah, if the mimics know about like looping and they're capable of like doing that, why aren't they using it over and over? Um, if Rita did the same thing as Keiji did, where it's like, oh, I'm looping, I'm going to become stronger and win this battle. Why are we not seeing people in every single battle uh, that the mimics do? Uh, maybe it's only something they do when like things are actually kind of bad for them. Uh, again, don't think about it. I'm glad we're pointing out that it has that big issue because I think that's what the first thing everyone's going to run into when they read this. So just to kind of get into what like the themes a little bit, because I think this is where it is successful. Yeah, let's get into the themes. Okay, so this entire story, and correct me if you think, or, or let me know if you disagree, this is all about PTSD. Yeah, I can agree. I can agree with that, yeah. Yeah, okay, so they introduced death as something that our main characters uh, become intimately familiar with. Uh, like we say, they die repeatedly uh, and often in gruesome ways. But it, they are also watching the people around them get just horrifically slaughtered again and again. They have to con they have to repeatedly live with the same mistakes, or I guess different mistakes, uh, regardless of their attempts to have a better like uh, outcome for the battle, uh, repeatedly. And they KG very quickly's emotional state is just like destroyed by the end of the story, and he's only really saved by his kindred spirit and rita whenever she comes into play and finds out about his looping and that you know she's not going to be the one that's looping for this battle she's kind of relieved but also like the two bond over this that's one of the best moments of this manga is when um uh rita and uh, keiji have um that discussion uh you know during uh physical training where they kind of you know kind of realize uh and, and rita hears keiji you know talk about like 
you know, her thing of talking to people who are dying about something that like has nothing to do uh, with dying that, you know, he, he is looping and she starts tearing up. That's, that's one of the, like the best emotional moments of this manga. Uh, you, you mentioned it a bit ago, um, but um, like dying over and over again must be traumatic. I mean, we have tons and tons of evidence that people just like being in accidents where they just like get hurt, but still living causes like lifelong emotional and physical trauma. Uh, so I imagine that that would be um, exponential if you're actually physically like being like maimed and killed over, over, over and over again. It's not surprising that Keiji and Rita to an extent are just so like traumatized and broken by these loops. Yeah, even though they become these like just undefeatable badasses by the end of the story, like the story even ends like I think with them saying like KG is just kind of unkillable at this point. He's just he he has the mimics memorized and like he's just not really losing to them anymore. Like it establishes that he's supposed to be the savior uh, for humanity in this war, but even so, it, it's taken such a like horrible cost on him to get to this point. Like he is just com- like w- not only like losing like Rita, but like kind of losing um i mean re- like his reality has kind of been warped by the number of times that he's died yeah this is this is highlighted by um the flashback to rita and her first looping experience um you know she finally became strong enough to break the loop uh but then you know she realizes that somebody who you know through all the other loops never died uh you know um the the one guy whose name i I don't have written in front of me um but he had the newborn that he never met uh and the one time that she was able to break the loop you know he he died when he you know didn't die in any other loop and you know that weight you know is put on her um yeah so so that kind of highlights that that trauma aspect as well the gore and violence in the story i do believe that it is being utilized in uh in a way to communicate and I'm, okay i'm just gonna go ahead and say this is a quick hit later on but i do think it's kind of important to the themes here and uh that's why i'm bringing it up here but what are your thoughts on the violence being you and how it's being used here because like i for me i was very mixed on it i want to i want to hear what you think Huh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and you get the violence from page one. Like, uh, you know, maybe not the first page, but the second page, you get a very uh, bloody and gory um, uh, color page of Keiji just like eviscerated by one of these mimics while Rita stays uh, with him while he dies and asks him about green tea being served in, uh, um, you know, with meals in Japan for some reason. I, I stylistically, all of that violence is portrayed very well. Like, you know, the artist definitely knows exactly what they're doing. Um, as far as thoughts on why it's being presented that way, um, I, I I think it just kind of goes into that whole, you know, PTSD trauma thing. Um, for us to really believe that this is a story about how these people cope with such just incredible trauma, uh, we need to see that trauma happening. And what's the best way than just seeing somebody impaled on spikes, uh, you know, mimic spikes, or just shot in the face over and over again? The, the violence. Uh, really needs to be presented this way for us to really uh, understand the gravity of the emotional toll that's happening on these characters. And I will say, you know, since these mimics look like the annoying orange, like we have to (laughs) see how dangerous they are for us to take them seriously because they do look a little silly at the beginning. Yeah. And I completely agree with all your points. I do think that it was necessary. And I think that's why I'm mixed on it. Uh, I, I do think that they, they could not have, 
communicated their theme successfully without all of the violence being present mostly just because like death isn't something that we're worried about the characters because they're constantly coming back does attach a cost to their fight when death isn't that end state if they were just dying and coming back and just like unfazed by that they i mean there would be no stakes Oh, yeah, that's a great point because it would just be like a video game. You know, it'd just be like, you know, uh, your character model falls and you flash and then disappears. Uh, yeah, like you have to see that violence for it to, uh, re- for the impact to be made. Yeah. Okay. And so the other half of that coin is that do you think that I am not wired to, and maybe. This is is probably more a problem with me and how I enjoy, I guess, my art. But I am not one for gore on this level. It's it's very hard for me to look at the imagery. Um, I I found myself on one page where, like, KG's body was, like, mostly, like, melted. And he was, like, almost in two. And it was, I just couldn't quite look at that. It was just a bit too much for me to, like, take in. It was just, it was just, um, there were also other spots of him just being impaled in several different directions. And, like, it it was just, uh, obviously, it's not supposed to be pretty. And it's, you're meant, it's meant to elicit that reaction. But it is much harder for me to connect with basically any medium when, that sort of thing happens, you know, and, and I guess that's the thing about art and subjectivity. It's not for everyone, but th- those were parts of the story that I had a hard time with myself. That's very interesting that you say that. Um, I'm actually someone who really has a hard time with violence in like TV and movies, uh, like horror movies, uh, you know, like like Saw and uh, uh, you know, killing stuff. I, I cannot deal with that at all. But it's weird for me because in video games and manga and other things, it's like easier for me uh, to handle. So I, I cannot watch scary movies, but like I love like the Resident Evil games uh, and other stuff like that. Um, so like the violence in this manga. I, it didn't really bother me at all. Um, I just thought it was very stylistically cool. Uh, that's a very interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. So, like, and just to be clear, like, I watch a lot of things that have gore and stuff in them. It's just never been something that I like. I, I like it if it can be just avoided. You know what I mean? I prefer it if it can. Um, but I do recognize when there are certain stories or video games that use it to communicate their message or theme, or maybe you're just trying to have fun with it. That, it, that I think it's contextual. Like in the lighthouse where, you know, there's a little bit of that. Um, I found that really hard. Like I was squirming in my seat, but, you know, I could play Resident Evil 2 all day. I guess from there, this I guess this is a good point to talk about the art and I mean, like overall scene composition. Oh, yeah. We I think we this goes without saying, but the art's like fire in this thing, right? It's very well done, yeah. Um, uh, Obata Sensei, you know, did a great job, especially um, doing the emotional uh, tender, you know, uh, like the emotional tender moments, like uh, Rita crying, um, you know, like uh, showing the absolute like black pill despair that Keiji has, uh, you know, throughout the the manga, and then just like the brutality of the violence. Yeah, the art is is really great. Yeah, so I think that uh, so I think the art's incredible, and the reason why I wanted to specifically talk about the composition, like scene scene composition, um, as amazing as the art is, the action is incredibly hard to track. Did you have that same issue? I have I have this issue with a lot of battle manga. Um, you know, when I read long stories, I, I, I do tend to kind of check out halfway through. Um, I'm reading Chainsaw Man right now, which is really awesome, a really cool story. But it's it's a battle manga. There are like uh, some chapters where it's all just 
very high, uh, high energy action fighting and not a lot of dialogue. And I always find myself kind of skimming over that parts because I guess I just find the, um, you know, interpersonal dialogue, the most engaging uh, part of that stuff. So yeah, yeah, there were definitely parts, uh, probably less than some other manga that I've read. Um, but there were definitely parts of this where I was just kind of like skimming the battle scenes, trying to get to the next story point. Okay, that makes sense. If this is something that's normal, I think it's a little bit more forgivable. I still think it's an issue because there was a couple of like battle scenes where it seemed like they were trying to communicate like a like a fluid maneuver that one of the characters was doing, but it did not come off as fluid at all. It was like I was like I don't understand how they got and ended where they did or what exactly happened in the scene. Yeah, it's very it's very busy and hard to follow. Yeah, but I, I mean, I found that very forgivable because everything just looks really damn cool. I think the mimics look terrifying and sweet and effective in that way. As, but I, although you saying they look like the annoying or just made me feel a little bit differently about that, maybe. I really want to. I really want to hammer home the, the the look of these mimics for sure. <laughs> I will say um, that one thing that I think that makes this harder in this one than some other manga is that it's all new stuff. Um, it, you know, the um, battle jackets, which are really cool looking, I'm sure we'll talk about that here in a second, kind of do make the humans look almost like alien uh, themselves in a way. And I, I wonder if that's intentional. And they're fighting these mimics who are very much not uh, human. They're not using like guns that we recognize. Uh, and all of that together makes it to where it makes another level of difficult and understanding what's happening in these battle scenes because not only do we have to interpret like okay here's one figure here's another figure he's doing this to this other thing right now but we also have to be like okay that's a person in a battle jacket uh so there's like another layer of having to try to understand what's going on you mentioned the jackets i gotta go off for a second i, I love my metal gear and i love gundam but like this is the, the i love the jackets in this uh story they're they're very sweet looking yeah they're they're very good and i was very struck by the fact that they're they're very humanoid they have things on the front um that um you know look like eyes um so they yeah you can tell it's like a human inside the suit but like it the outside appearance doesn't really scream human yeah it's it's like very like uh i don't know if you ever saw uh district nine no i haven't Okay, okay. Well, the aliens in District 9, it looks like uh, their, their suits look like the aliens from District 9 mixed with like a fighter pilot, almost. Mm, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, yeah, very much into the art. I think that that's like a big like win here. The relationship between Rita and KG in the art are things that I walked away from the story like really enjoying. And I guess that's kind of like ultimately where I feel a little disappointed by Rita's like kind of late... Um, late in the late like late in the story appearance um because i i I think like kg and rita kg tells rita towards the end of the story that he loves her and i just yeah i did think that was a little out left field to be honest yeah and she didn't return it either it may have been for her as well it just seemed and maybe it's because you know he experienced her so many more times than any of us really experienced her but like it just didn't feel earned at that moment like you could tell that they had a bond and that they they had a shared connection which was very believable but for him to jump past the point of like it being platonic and into like i love you it was just a little it it just it i didn't feel like it had been earned yet at that point 
I do think that there is a basis for this in the real world. I mean, we know about trauma bonding. That that absolutely is a thing that That's happens true. in the real world. And, uh, you know, it does not make any sense. Uh, so um, it, that definitely ties into the theme of just like trauma, uh, you know, in the story um, is that, you know, this might very well be just like trauma bonding. Like he's experienced her so many times. For her, it's always been the same day, but just immediately knowing that he went through the same hell that she did, um, you know, you know, back during when she was looping, I, I did, and, you know, I mean, she cr starts crying immediately after like realizing, yes, this man's looping just like I did. Um, so yeah, I definitely think there's some sort of like a, a ir irrational bonding going on, but it is kind of out of left field if you're not expecting it. Okay, so that actually made me appreciate that note a lot more, and I'm glad you brought that up. That that is a great way to think about that because I, 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 as okay, just to clarify, Will and I uh, are not combat veterans. We we have not experienced any sort of like war related trauma. We're both. Hey, I, I would I would like to to point out that I am a uh, very long veteran of the posting wars. Okay, so <laughs> okay, it's true. It's true. <laughs> okay, so Will and I are very smooth brain white boys who have not a. Uh, you know, experience too much, you, you know, like battlefield, uh, experience. We, we haven't been on the battlefield too much ourselves. Right. Yeah. Yes. I've never, yeah. I've never been in a fight. So yeah. And we've been, I, I would say my, I can't speak for you will, but for myself, like I, I, you know, luckily I've been in enough situations where I haven't been, you know, put in, I haven't experienced like hardcore trauma in these ways. That's true. Yes. So, so it is very like insightful to like gain that, like, uh, that perspective that like, that, that like, that uh, love through like trauma bonding thing that, that is very interesting to me and something I would like to see more of. And I'm glad it, it seems to be more serviced by the plot than I gave it credit for. I imagine that watching that um, annoying orange show that they produced like 10 years ago was probably a traumatic experience for everyone that saw it. You were on fire today. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I think that that pretty much wraps up uh, this uh, this story. I'm um, very, very interesting, very emotional, very action packed. Um, you know, like like I said, I I liked it. You know, as long as you don't think too too much about the details of the story, this is a very enjoyable, uh, very enjoyable read. Well, you want to get into some quick hits then? Oh yeah, hit me, day. All right, all right, we we gotta keep, we gotta stop spewing our quick hits. I think this is the third episode straight where we like blew uh, our load on one of our quick hits. <laughs> I, I think that that um, speaks to um, the quality of the discussion that we're having, um, you know, but I, I, I hear you. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll workshop a better way to do this, but hit me. All right. So would you ever want a sequel to All You Need a Skill? I actually really like that this is a very contained story. I actually like didn't hate the ending at all um i think having that kind of open-ended you know he does what he does uh and uh you know it's just like okay i you know i i am now the super soldier i um am going to take the uh, mimics head uh, head on i actually really like that and, and i like how like just um contained the story was uh, kind of like we talked about with dead space i think dead space as a as like a whole intact thing would be much better if it was just dead space one and they never tried to like do sequels and uh do that story so um if they had a seat if they had a sequel i'd probably check it out but i think this is totally fine as just a standalone thing this story was not about the war with the mimics it was about the relationship between between these two people and the trauma shared between the two that's that's true if they had a sequel it would definitely be have to be something different yeah and i and i i think that that's why it ends the way it does it pretty much spells out at the end 
hey, KG is going to end this war. He's the super soldier. He can't be beaten. So you can kind of infer what's going to happen after this scene, like, like where he goes up and has the cup of coffee in her uh, apartment above the military base. Like he, he kind of enjoys the coffee that, you know, she poured for both of them that morning and he remembers her and, you know, resolves that he's going to remember her on the battlefield as well. And, you know, paint his, uh, his, his uh, jacket sky blue, like her favorite color. Yeah, that that's the story, uh, you know, and the sequel, a sequel would just not have that. Right. And, and that's the, that's the thing. I, I think that like it, they told the story they wanted to tell between these two characters and all that stuff like that. So I, I don't think I would want a sequel if they did have a sequel. I, I'm maybe I come across it at some point, but I think I got what they were trying to put down with this one. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. Uh, well, let me ask you: um, Does the presence of the kind of bit characters, or as as we call them, waifus, that are really don't contribute much to the story and are just kind of meant there to be kind of like hints of fan service? Do you think that the presence of those characters uh, are dissident to the rest of the story presented here? Like, absolutely. This manga is extremely grounded despite you know some of the art direction like kind of speaking otherwise you know like obviously these like mimics are otherworldly and they're running around in like these mecha suits for the most part everything is like pretty like down to earth in terms of like character design and modeling and stuff and rita despite you know being a kind of fitting a sort of like stereotype as far as how like anime you know women are drawn is also fairly down to earth she's not disproportionately drawn or anything like that she's like a smaller woman you know with features not really that are like outstanding whereas the lunch lady who shows up in the book is just like massive chested and like drawn very much like, you know, like she fell out of like some kind of like slice of life anime that it's hard to explain, but like, it's very much like uh, it's like the most anime character in the, in the book. Yeah. That that character was really, and that whole like scene with her was really weird. It was like, Hey, you just fought or you just like uh, got beat in a fight against this very unfortunate, you you know, United States racial stereotype. Hey, do you want to have sex? It was really weird. And I think that that scene would have been a lot more like, I think it would have hit more. Like it would have been a lot more. I, I would have felt more had she not been drawn the way that she was. If she was more, I guess like down to earth in terms of design, like, like the rest of the characters had been, I think that scene would have hit different, but it was like he was being hit on by a body pillow. Yeah, it was really weird. And that definitely, I want I see that's another part where I wonder, um, does the book have more about this? Does she play a more important part uh, there? But as of right now, she definitely could have just been cut out of out of the manga. The um, the engineer who is also a little bit that way, not really fan servicey, but definitely like supposed to be like you know a girl that you know you kind of uh, uh, latch on to. Um, you know, she's almost drawn differently, almost like she's from a slice of life manga or something like that. She much more um, justified her existence inside um, the story, even though if her like characterization was a little out of uh, touch with the grounded uh, reality uh, of this manga. But even then her characterization was a little weird. Yeah. It, it seemed very much like whenever she showed up in the manga, I knew nothing bad was going to happen to her based on how she was drawn. And like she, she had like, you know, Oh, like, you know, cute girl anime armor. The moment she was introduced, I felt like, but I, I, I for like, sure, for sure. yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I didn't think that those two characters, like maybe design didn't belong. I thought the mechanic character did, like you said, justify her existence a little bit more because she was actually like supplemental to what was happening in the plot. Uh, that said, I do think that her in the lunch lady could have stand to be redrawn. Uh, speaking of the, um, uh, the, the cafeteria, I got to ask, can you use chopsticks? I can, but it, it, like a tier or two above Rita. I'm I'm not great, but I I am like not going to look like an idiot when I use them. At least I am absolutely at Rita's level. I would absolutely sit there and try to spear the food with the chopstick and eat it. That was a really um like a uh, humanizing moment for her. Yes. Th- okay. I will say that is one thing about Rita that I am glad that they made kind of anime uh, in the story was they kind of broke the ice of her personality with how much of a goddamn american she is <laughs> yeah that was that was pretty fun i mean hey I me mean, if you're if you're from rural illinois that's just kind of how it is sometimes yeah you haven't seen a chopstick much less use one okay yeah that's it for me will i believe you have an exhortation for me thank you for this episode's exhortation i very much enjoyed it even though i had some gripes but i am ready to exhort you for next week now this is definitely something i know you already have experience with so no no huge surprises there um but for next episode uh, my exhortation to you is the Binding of Isaac Rebirth. Oh boy! Yes, uh, I love this game. Uh, okay, digga digga digga. My Steam stats: Binding of Isaac original playtime one hundred forty-seven point three hours. Binding of Isaac Rebirth playtime two hundred and eight hours. That is a huge chunk of time, and I enjoyed every single second I put into this game. You and my girlfriend both have just like completely devoured that game. Now, I, I don't want you to, um, to, to lie to me. Uh, even though I know you have experience with this game, you have to spend some time playing this game uh, before our next episode. Oh, no, I'm going to. Yeah, I, 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 will, I will never do that to you. And also, I think I own it on Switch. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great game. It's um, a roguelike, uh, and it has a very interesting uh, flavor to it. You play as a crying baby, and then you there's all sorts of like religious themes and like really um, like a nasty, like a under, the, under the house stuff. And it's just a really thematic and flavorful game that I can't wait to talk about with you. Uh, I'm excited too. I know uh, Tristan at least will be very excited to hear this episode. Absolutely. So, you know, with that being said, you know, um, other than reading this absolutely brutal manga, what have you been getting into lately? Uh, more Haikyuu, uh, like we talked about last week. Um, that, that show has kind of entered what I would consider to be the upper echelon of my am- anime rankings, so to speak. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think I could, like, assign a, like, you know, one out of 50 number or something like that. But like, I I am enjoying the hell out of that show. It's very happy and uplifting. And it it, it makes me want to, it makes me want to play sports, even though I didn't really enjoy sports when I played them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I mean, it's super, super popular. So I figured you'd probably enjoy it, but I'm glad, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, aside from that, I've been just kind of dabbling. I've been playing more monster hunter, a few months ago whenever i first got my pc uh, i had gotten an early access game that i had heard a lot of good things about uh called among trees it's it's kind of just like you're a, a person alone in the woods in rural you know like west virginia is what it seems like and you're just kind of like carving out like a life there it, it's sort of like a survival game it's more pensive than that it's it, it, it's not like all about putting a bunch of stress on you you're kind of just like yeah. cultivating a life if that makes sense and it's just very uh it's very zen and i like it a lot 
Yeah, one of those slice of, a slice of life games. Yeah, that's definitely your jam. Yeah, very much. And, and I've been enjoying it. Uh, what with the stresses of the last couple of weeks, you know, the presidential election happening and all the other stuff we have going on. Uh, it's been nice to just kind of like hop into something that is just very calming and, you know, you, you like being in. But yeah, what about you, Will? What have you been up to? All right, so I'm just going to be straight with you. I want to take this time and not spend it now, and I want double time next episode so I can talk about Kaladesh Remastered on uh, Magic Arena. Okay, I'm here for that. I'm going to complain about it. I'm excited for that conversation. Okay, I will say, actually, instead of playing a lot of video games this week, you know, I got my school stuff that I'm working on, um, but a lot of my free time this weekend has actually been put into, you know, maybe like a little project, you know, for just paying these things down the line. Oh, so, boy. Again, be subscribed, uh, you know, follow us on Twitter. Um, we got some exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. I, I'm excited for it, too. I can't wait. All right. Uh, how do you feel about buttoning this one up? Yeah, button me up, baby. I'm, I'm exposed. <laughs> all right. All right. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Standies. Uh, it means so much to us for you to, to be joining us uh, here every episode. Um, if you want, you can follow Jordan on Twitter at Action Pancake. I'm at Agra Rhetoric on Twitter, and we would love it if you would follow along with our exhortations and uh, stay up to date on all the latest Disc Dandies excitement at Disc Dandies Pod. Join us here next episode for another spin with the Disc Dandies. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Yeah, let me get these uh, gimme bears out of my my mouth and digesting. I did eat half a peanut butter sandwich here. It was um, not not enjoyable or tasty, um, but oh. it did it did fill my stomach. Why was not it? Why was it not enjoyable or tasty? Look, here's the thing, Jordan. Uh, suffering is a virtue. It, it's not about being happy or doing things that are enjoyable or fun. Uh, the point is to do what you're supposed to do and to uh, find enjoyment in the fact that regardless of the fact that like you, you hate everything and that you're miserable, that you have obtained virtue. Okay, but this all implies that you don't like peanut butter. Um, okay, have you ever seen How I Met Your Mother? Don't do this to our relationship, Will. Yes, I have. Okay, there's the episode where they are they're taking the road trip to Chicago and it's that uh pretender I song. I would walk 500 miles, yeah. That's the exact kind of uh relationship I have with peanut butter. Uh, sometimes it's like the only thing I could ever want to eat ever. And then sometimes I'd rather stab myself in the stomach than eat another spoonful. This is some heartbreaking shit. You know, it's not about it's not about being happy, it's not about having fun or anything like that. It's about being virtuous. Okay. I realize that makes me sound like a psychopath. It does, yes. Uh, hey, the, the good thing is at least you recognize that.